1: Hello and welcome aboard the New Scientist Escape Pod. I'm Rowan Hooper, podcast editor, and joining me today are New Scientist Features editors Anna Deming and Josh Houdjago. Welcome both. Hi. Hello. This week's theme is elements, and by that I mean the chemical elements. Uh, So I'm going to save the periodic table for another episode. Uh, Sorry about that, Josh, just to skip over the greatest breakthrough in all of chemistry. But, you know, I thought it was in the spirit of good escapism to travel to some places that have been really important in sort of elemental history.
0: Yes, so today we're going to travel in our mind's eye (laughs) to a few places that have been important in elemental discovery in the past, as in a few hundred years ago, but also in the present to some locations where new elements have been discovered. But before we get into it, remember you can get the ultimate escapism with a discount subscription to New Scientist if you go to newscientist.com slash escape20. So Josh, there are some locations that are really closely linked with particular elements, aren't there?
2: There absolutely are, yes. But... First, I do wonder – now, I know, Rowan, you have banned the periodic table from discussion, but <laughs> before we started, maybe we should just briefly recap what an element is. So, yeah. put it simply, it's a substance that can't be broken down into anything simpler.
1: Right. Okay, so, yeah, exactly. So, we know salt is not an element, like table salt. It's made of sodium and chlorine. Uh, but those two components of salt are elements because they can't be broken down into anything simpler.
2: That's it. You got it. Uh, Now, when I think about elements, the first thing that comes to mind is the village of Iterby in Sweden. You might say it's the periodic table's most important site because almost 10 percent of the naturally occurring elements, that's eight out of 94, can trace their discovery back to a single quarry in this village.
1: That's amazing. Um, And yeah, I know about Iterby because we sent you there a couple of years ago, didn't we?
2: You did. And um, it was a very fun trip. Thanks for sending me. Um, Mainly, I have to say, because I arranged to go with a local geologist named Eric Johnson, and he turned out to be quite the character. For one thing, he spent most of the day with a whole ball of Swedish chewing tobacco called snus tucked under his upper lip, which made him look a little bit odd. (laughs) (laughs) Is um,
1: Is it the etiquette to offer snus to people like you offer a cigarette or like people used to in the olden days? Did he offer yeah. you
2: any? Yeah, he did, actually. He, uh, I mean, you don't share it. That would be a bit no. weird. But he did <laughs> offer to roll me a bit of it. Yeah. Um, did I did I-, I did say
1: no, I'm afraid. Uh, um, all right. Anyway, back to the elements of Turby. All right. So
2: first off, there are four elements which are actually named after the village in various fashions. So that's Etrium, terbium, Erbium and iterbium, And then there are another four, Scandium, Holmium thulium and gadolinium that can also trace their discovery back to this quarry so that's eight in total and if you had you? some of these elements in front of you they would all basically just look like lumps of silvery white metal
0: right so they did well to distinguish those so what what is it about this place that makes it such a rich source of elements
2: Well, back in deep time, it seems that a bubble of molten rock rich in these elements rose to the surface of the earth at Iturbi. And the conditions just happened to be right for them to form crystals. And so in the middle of the village, there is a small mine that hundreds of years ago was used as a source of ingredients for porcelain. I think it was um, the mineral feldspar that they were mining. And then in 1787, a Swedish army officer named Carl Axel Arrhenius visited the mine and he found a scrap of black mineral, which we now call gadolinite. He sent it to his friend Johan Gadolin, a chemist for analysis. And it's a bit of a convoluted story. We don't have time to go into all of it. But gradually, we would discover those eight elements in this mineral and others like it.
0: So are these elements used for anything now?
2: Yes, they are. So the ones from Eterbi are examples of what are called rare earth elements, so-called because, well, they are quite rare. And uh, lots of modern technology actually includes a kind of a loose smattering of these elements. So, for instance, you might have heard of neodymium YAG lasers, maybe, if you're a bit of a laser geek. <laughs> So no. the Y in that, yeah, you haven't heard of them? No, right? Not
1: heard of them, no.
2: <laughs> well, uh, maybe that's just me. But uh, the Y in that acronym is for yttrium. So yttrium is a crucial ingredient in many lasers. Um, and other uh, elements identified in Eterby are used in things like magnets. And gadolinium compounds are injected into people to help enhance MRI scans.
1: Josh, I would love to go to Iturbi and uh, try some snooze, <laughs> no, and actually, and, and see all the elements there. You know, it's interesting because there's only one place in the UK uh, that has given its name to an element, and I think I'm more likely to visit. I haven't been there either, uh, but that's in Strontian in Scotland. It's a village in West Highland.
0: So Strontian, I guess the element they lay claim to is strontium.
1: Yep, yeah, that's the one. Um, if you are from Strontian, please get in touch at New Scientist Pod. We'd love to hear from you uh, and I'd love to visit your village. So anyway, in Strontium, there were mines in, in the region in the 19th century that mined galena.
2: Was that for lead?
1: Yes. Uh, galena is the mineral that has a very high lead content. So it was mined for that in the 19th century and, uh, and in the 20th century. And another mineral mined there was strontianite. And eventually this mineral strontianite uh, was broken down into its constituent parts by Humphrey Davy. And uh, he separated it into strontium chloride and mercuric oxide, which doesn't sound very nice at all. But it did mean he'd found a new element and he named it strontium.
2: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Rowan, I know uh, when we all had to choose our favourite elements a couple of years ago, when we were celebrating the uh, uh, anniversary of the birth of the periodic table, yeah. you chose strontium, didn't you? And I think you've got quite a good story. Are you going to wheel it out again?
1: <laughs> I am going to wheel it out again. <laughs> um, I, cho- uh, I chose strontium because I first learned about it as a kid when I was reading 2000 AD, the comic. Uh, the comic, And there's a there was a comic strip in that called Strontium Dog, Um, And that's about people who have been exposed to radioactive strontium and they've gained genetic mutations as a result.
2: Okay, because uh, strontium is quite famous in chemistry circles anyway for coming in various isotopic forms, isn't it? So it's the same element, but uh, with different numbers of neutrons in the nucleus.
1: Yeah, right. So uh, strontium-90 is strontium with 90 neutrons and protons instead of the usual number. Uh, which I haven't looked up, actually, I've forgotten I meant to. (laughs) Uh, And so Strontium-90 turned out to be a big product of nuclear fission. And so the writers of Strontium Dog imagined this. um, I I guess this was the 80s and everyone was thinking about nuclear war all the time. And they imagined a massive fallout of Strontium-90 that caused loads of mutations. And that's how the characters of Strontium Dog were born. Um, but also, Josh, here's one for you. That Strontium-90 is radioactive, as we've been saying, so it decays into another element after its certain amount of time, the half-life, and strontium-90 decays into yttrium-90. So there you go. There's a nice connection there between ytterby and strontium. I
2: really like it, even if it is yeah. a type of a tortured connection.
1: And even if I did wheel out my story again. It's yes. <laughs> a great story, Rowan. Well, it's I new reduce. to me. <laughs> Thank you for saying so.
2: Anna, where are you off to?
0: Right, well, you two have stayed in Northern Europe and I want to roam a bit further afield and that brings us a little bit closer to the current day as well.
1: Okay, yes, do drag us into the 21st century.
0: <laughs> so, First we're going to Moscow or near Moscow, the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research, the JINR, which is actually in Dubna.
1: Okay, is it as nice as Strontium or Yuterby?
0: Uh, I don't know how many listeners I've got <laughs> from Dubna, so I'd like to say, but it, it's more about the lab than some okay. uh, beautiful countryside with mines and things. The, the point is that once you get to the larger elements, they don't occur naturally. So the only way to find new elements is to make them in particle colliders, which is what they do in this lab in Dubna. And it's in this region around Moscow, and it's a bit bit of a hub for new elements in the past 10 20 years so one of the elements they've made in this lab is moscovium, named after Moscow, obviously and it lasts only 0.6 seconds
1: so why why does it only last such a short time
0: well this is it so as elements get bigger they have more protons and neutrons in the nucleus and you just get to a certain point where the atomic nucleus is is just getting really big and unwieldy and it just just can't hold itself together anymore. You <laughs> all know that feeling. <laughs> yes, yeah, too much going on in it. So to get elements with these bigger nuclei, you have to smash atoms of other elements together and then watch really carefully with detectors to see if you get a new element, at least briefly, so that you catch it before it inevitably falls apart into other things and you've got to trace what it's fallen into and work out its decay path. But that's what they did. And they made muscovium, which was number 115 on the periodic table. So it has 115 protons in the, its nucleus. So that's quite big. And they also made organosin, which is element 118. And that's actually the first element to be named after a living person, after Yuri Organosin. And he's also been credited with techniques for cold fusion and headed the team of Russian and American scientists at the Joint Institute for Nuclear Research in Dublin.
2: I remember the names of these elements were confirmed in 2016, weren't they?
0: Yes. Yeah, so the Joint Working Party, which is a group convened periodically by uh-huh. the... Oh in- <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking as I said it, periodic table. <laughs> nice. at? Um, so anyway, it's convened by the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry and the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics... And they confirmed the discovery of these two elements in January 2016, plus two more. So the other two were numbers 113 and 117. And for these, we have to travel again to different labs. So first, let's go for um, 113. So there was quite a bit of a race to create this element, because whoever does then gets to name it. Actually, the race was really about proving what they've made, because it's, it's not just about... Whacking these things together, as I said, they tend to decay into other things quite quickly. And you don't get to name the element unless you can really prove convincingly that it was what you think it was.
2: Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway,
0: so the honors here went to a lab, the lab Riken in Japan. And the team named it Nihonium after the Japanese for Japan. And apparently, it took more than four trillion collisions over nine years to successfully make element 113 just three times so it's not a simple experiment but it was enough to have it (laughs) a lot of perseverance but it was enough to have it recognized as a new element and then the other element recognized in 2016 is element 117 which is tennessee which was also discovered by the Russian-American collaboration at Dubna, <laughs> alongside Joseph Hamilton and his team at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Hence the name.
1: So that Dubna facility is a real—it's um, a real element factory, isn't it? Churning it now. Absolutely
0: is, yeah. And it doesn't stop there. So now scientists are working on the next row of the periodic table, hoping to make elements from there in similar ways. So watch this space.
1: Thanks, Anna, and thanks, Josh, for your uh, mouth tobacco <laughs> and your Swedish elements. Thank you.
0: And that's all for Escape Pod this week. Remember to subscribe and tell all your friends. You can get in touch with any of us on Twitter at New Scientist Pod. We'd love to hear what things you'd like us to talk about or if you've been to any of the places we've talked about on today's show.
1: And also remember for a 20% discount on a subscription to New Scientist, go to newscientistcom escape20. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: This podcast is produced by Oli Giyu Podcast Production. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.